Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode 27. In this episode, I'm talking to Chip Zenuff from the band Enough's Enough. The band has a new box set out, just came out, called Never Enough, Rarities and Demos. These were recorded by Chip Zenuff and Donnie V, the co-founders of the band, way back in the mid-80s. They really capture that early Enough's Enough sound and vibe, and they don't sound like demos, they don't sound like outtakes, they're really... Uh, something a little bit more special than that. So anyway, we talked uh, a lot about that. We talked about Enough's Enough's new Beatles album that will come out before the end of the year. They have a Beatles tribute coming out called Hard Rock Night. Uh, Chip's also working on a solo album. And we talked about his background, his musical influences, and his first record and things of that nature. So it was a fun interview. I had a lot of fun with Chip, and uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. So here we go. All right, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm here today with Chip's Enough from the band Enough's Enough. Uh, Chip, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it, Michael. Thanks for talking to me. Seems like a busy time for you guys. You've got uh, coming out this Friday. It'll, I think it'll be a little bit in the past when this airs, but I think um, you've got the the new uh, Never Enough Rarities and Demos package coming out. It's a three CD set or four LP, vinyl LP albums. Uh, lot of stuff there you've got um i understand a beatles uh cover hard rock night uh, coming up uh fairly soon seems like a busy time for you guys well we've certainly made it like that uh, we could sit around and, uh, and confuse motion with progress or we can try to make things happen where uh we stay busy and it feels good and, and it's uh it's a creative time and uh and the fans are happy because they get new music so we chose the latter uh, we made a few records, as a matter of fact. You know, you have the Frontiers record that just came out, which is called uh, Demos and Rarities. And that's that's material from when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be intuitive enough to hold on to all those dad tapes. And when we were approached by Cleopatra Records to do an album, we thought maybe it was in our best interest to let them hear the stuff. We already have a, a label in Italy called Frontiers, and they put out all the enough enough music from the last six, seven years. So we, we didn't want to confuse people, but we want to put music out there. And between myself and Donnie's management team, we made a deal with Cleopatra, with uh, Brian Pereira, a wonderful guy, to put that uh, the demos and rarities out. And then, of course, our obligation right now is uh, to put out new music through frontiers sounds a bit confusing but it's really not it's two we got two homes we're lucky yeah and we made a, a the first album we did was uh the beatles that's called enough's enough uh hard rock night it's all beatles songs and just picture stone temple pilots and cheap trick in an alley fighting together <laughs> and some other rock star musician comes in and breaks it up that's that record to be honest with you it's it's really a it's uh, paying homage to the Beatles. It's a very, very hard rock record, all analog recording. A lot, a lot of fun. We were in the studio playing live together. It was just very exciting to us. Very minimal overdubs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're paying respect uh, to our forebears. Uh, the guy who invented my job, Paul McCartney. And, uh, Ringo, so, great drumming. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon, fabulous songwriter, beautiful voice. And of course, the great. George Harrison, those are the guys right there that we're paying respect to in Sesame Street terms. 
And then uh, we finish that record up. It comes out, I'm hoping, sometime in November. And from there, we'll uh, uh, then navigate these waters and put out the new uh, solo record I have right now, which is uh, called Perfectly Imperfect. Okay. With members of White Snake, Guns N' Roses, Cheap Trick, etc. Ten song record. Mm -hmm. It'll be on Frontiers as well. Don't know when we're going to put it out. I just make the records, come up with the songs, and, and that's already a challenge as it is. Although in this day and age, it's pretty simple because it's certainly a lot of subject matter out there. Uh, but just we make the records and then we put them out there and find maybe we get a chance to go out and tour on them. That's the best thing about making records is uh, you get a chance to go out and work. Yeah, you had uh, you had been playing Magical Mystery Tour. Is that uh, one of the, the one of the songs on the new Beatles uh, covers? Yeah, it is, Michael. We thought that we should throw that in the set, let people know what to expect coming up. Uh, and plus, it was very challenging at any time you got to play any Beatles song, especially starting the night off. And I thought the fans are pretty impressive, to be honest with you. Come right out of the box uh, with a with a strong, hard rock Beatles song. Yeah. I know it trips my trigger. <laughs> Great. Before I get a little bit more into this uh, Rarities and Demos box, which, by the way, the, I, I haven't seen the physical product, but the photos make the packaging look fantastic and the, the, the colored vinyl fans will, will love the LPs. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, you know, the way you approach music. Do you, are you, do you listen to music digitally these days? I listen to music in any way possible, to be honest with you. And I listen to all different kinds of music, whether it's Ed Sheeran, or I work on my way through to, to the new Jay-Z record or, or Kanye West. Uh, but my tastes, obviously, I, are uh, deep inside rock and, and metal, mm -hmm. uh, more more hard rock than anything in pop music. I always loved that stuff. It's, I, I think it's a big potpourri of music in my mind. And I want to hear everything that's going on out there. I think it's very important. Uh, and there's a lot of bands out there that aren't getting a break at all that, that I think uh, are fabulous groups that just for some reason that haven't slipped through the cracks. Yeah. Because we're in a day and age right now, there's too much product, not enough demand. And that's very unfortunate. And I think all bands really can do right now, you make a record, you go out and you got to try to find work and go tour. Yeah. Get, get an agency to book you and, and try to play shows and, and reach people the old fashioned way, which is hitting the street. It's very difficult out there. Yeah, and there's back not to what, to... Get, Michael getting back to what you're saying earlier on the record too. Uh, I really, uh, really enjoyed what uh, Frontiers did uh, on the, on the new stuff. But you can't beat the stuff that Brian Pereira and Cleopatra did with this demos rarity record because they went out and they found Paul Napkin who does stuff for Rolling Stones and Aerosmith everybody, and got him to do it, put all the artwork together, and and that's what made the package so special. I think. Not necessarily all the songs, although songs are very important and they're like our, they're like newborn babies, you know, and you just try to coddle them and try to feed them and bring it into something that makes a lot of sense and, and people will, will will gravitate to them. Uh, but the artwork is the, is, the, is the food, you know, that's what gets mm -hmm. you see that and you go, this is exciting. And those old pictures, they have them still, that's a miracle right there. And, and kudos to the guys over at Cleopatra Records for pulling that stuff out of the box. Yeah.
you know, you were talking about the the record business and 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 how bands have to you know beat the street and that they're they're not getting the breaks that they probably would get maybe in another era. But to, that's and that's partly too because there's not as much investment. You don't have the 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 corporate dollars uh, going out looking for the next big thing. It's all it's almost like they they make the next big thing. That's the that's the new record company model. Is we'll we'll figure out what the next big thing is and then we'll create it. We won't, we don't have to go looking for it. We don't have to spend money investing it and developing it anymore. Well, you might be right there because in some ways in the old days, record companies would drive out to Belfu, South Dakota, to, if there was a band out there that was causing some commotion, had some great songs. And nowadays, as I said before, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, product and not enough demand. Uh, but the bands that are out there, some really good groups, newer groups mm -hmm. that, are, that just haven't slipped through the cracks. Yeah. And the people are probably going, well, who chip? Who's a uh, name? One band that's out there that should be huge. Lemon Twigs, fantastic. Check them out. Lemon Twigs, fantastic band, great songs. They should be on a major tour right now. Oh, you got, but you got a few that slip through the cracks that I'm seeing. Like the Dirty Honey's getting some help, and mm -hmm. uh, obviously Greta Van Fleet and Rival Sons and, and Vintage Trouble uh, have all caused a little bit of commotion out there. Uh, but that's just rock. I'm talking, mm -hmm. there's pop bands out there that deserve to be heard. And I think right now the, the wave of the future is uh, whatever you can get out there, whatever moves you, that's what's going to get played right there. Whoever can buy on, get onto a tour, that'll certainly help move the, move the needle a little bit too. But a real band that writes real songs and sings and plays can't ever beat that. And that's, what, that's one thing that I miss in this day and age right now is to find that new stuff out there that, uh, can take over and, uh, and give us what we're looking for, which is great songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Because when you turn a radio on or put a record on a turntable, you don't see smoke machines and people shaking their asses. You just hear the song. <laughs> do you collect records or CDs? Do you have a, a, a music collection? I certainly do, Michael. I have a big record collection. I used to have tons of records. And then I moved and I was playing, traveling around the country, and my dad and my mother and father had most of the collection then. And then uh, when I came back, I, I started collecting records again without my mom and dad because they had a fabulous collection of, you know, all stuff from Richie Havens, the old Woodstock stuff. Oh, yeah. Janis Joplin, uh, Rare Earth, Crack the Sky, it's not a lot of 70s bands, you know. And uh, then I started picking up some stuff in, along the ways in the last 30 years. And I have, a, I have fabulous record collection from old Smokey Robinson, Leonard Skinner stuff to the Beatles. And my wife and I were just shopping recently at a, one of these little shops around the country. And we picked up a bunch of uh, Frank Sinatra records and, and a lot of uh, Beethoven and Mozart. Mm -hmm. She loves that kind of stuff. She plays piano. So I, 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 my collection has really grown exponentially in the last couple of years. Uh, but I don't play records all the time. I, I collect them and I have a turntable. I just have anything hooked up because I'm always in the studio <laughs> recording my own stuff or doing my radio shows. Yeah. Constantly got stuff going on. So uh, my collection is pretty strong right now. It's going to get better and better, but I haven't been playing too many records, although I love the analog stuff. Uh, lately, I just, I'm still uh, on the CDs. Well, I love that you mentioned Crack the Sky. That's uh, that's one that wouldn't be obvious to a lot of people. So it's it's good that you're a fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I love the old 70s stuff. I know John Palermo, a fabulous songwriter. And uh, I look at all that stuff and it means a lot to me because that was a big part of my foundation as a young child. Uh, 
practice and listen to those records where bands played live. There was nobody backstage, no sequencers, no synthesizers, just guys singing and playing songs about everyday experience they went through. And perhaps we did as well. Yeah. Uh, did you have, what was your first favorite record that you remember growing up? Probably uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Sweet Hitchhiker. I remember have, buying that 45 as a kid. And, uh, and I, and I, I, I simply adore uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. I think that uh, CCR was uh, one of the quintessential bands back in that time, writing about everything that was happening in the world, especially uh, with our with our country and uh, our military, mm-hmm. and, and just regular life, you know, love and, and, and death and uh, all the things that we experienced when we, uh, as we growing up as, as ch- children into adults. Uh, they, it, was a, it was a great song. He was such a star. Herbie Herbert, he used to, he used to imagine enough enough told me that when they were putting together all the festivals back in his late 60s, early 70s, that uh, when Journey when Journey seen uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, they said, these guys are superstars. They knew right away. They trust the look, the part. The songs were uh, very uh, well-written uh, and uh, radio embraced them beyond belief. So that's maybe why I grabbed on that record in the early days, not unwittingly, not knowing. Uh, but there was other records too I, that I, were really uh, strong and and powerful records that left an indelible mark with me, like Black Sabbath. You know, that first dub was incredible. Uh, recorded in three days, you know, analog recordings. It's four guys in the studio just singing and playing. I learned a lot from listening to the early stuff, but uh, the English has always been uh, intriguing to me because I love Bowie, I love Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. Mott the Hoople. Uh, those, those are great bands, and I think that set the tone for me. But it's funny. I grab an American band first from San Francisco that smokes pot and writes about our <laughs> writes about our military. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, do you ever play that game? Your your Desert Island Discs. You ever think about what you know what you would bring with you? No, but I I, I guess if you were asking me that question right now, would be uh, you know Beatles stuff and Pink Floyd. Those are sure. two bands I probably have those records on. Wish You Were Here would be on the Desert Island for sure. Great record. Can't go yeah. wrong. Written about Sid Barrett, all this stuff. Uh, yeah. As far as uh, I don't think I'd have any enough enough on the on those. You know, <laughs> ego. My ego doesn't need that. If I'm on a desert island, I got no way to get off there. Although I'm very proud of all the albums that we've recorded yeah. and all the songs that Donnie and I have written. Very very happy with that. With that, and I think that we've left an indelible mark. And I think the band as we are right now is very strong. there every single night we never mail it in the records are still good records mm-hmm. don't have as beautiful pipes on there uh but i certainly learned a lot through my years of making records and you know for any fan out there when when genesis left and uh, phil collins had to take over as lead vocalist no you know people complained at first but then after a while no one said one word because the, the records were still strong the songs were good and the band was out there playing all the time so 
I think if you look at it that way, who, who cares who drives the bus? Let's just get to the picnic. Yeah, and there's, I think, a, a, a willingness on fans' parts to um, to accept someone that's already within the band to take over those duties. I think that really helped Genesis, and it really helped Phil Collins gain that confidence that he needed to go on to become a global superstar. And and on and, and his last tours, we just did, Michael, you know, we're out with Ace Freely in 2016, 2017. We were out with Jack Russell's Great White 2018, 2019. And then this year out with Faster Pussycat and the live from the live in quarantine tour. Every night was jam-packed with people, great crowds every single night. And then, granted, we're not playing in sheds and arenas. We're doing 500 to 1,000 seaters. They still were packed and well, very well attended. And the people have spoken. And they're happy to hear enough snuff songs every single night. And they see a band playing it without uh, us having to worry about uh, worrying any of the stuff that we had to worry about in the past. It's a, it's a whole, it's a formidable team. And it's a great rolling machine right now. It's well-oiled and we're kicking ass and we're grateful to be out there. The audience is following us still. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Never Enough, Rarities and Demos. The interesting thing here is that you guys put out, you, you released Clowns Lounge in 2016, which had some previously unreleased archival songs on it. Where did these 40 songs come from? Was, was that part of the same batch or, or these go back further? Yeah, I have a flight case downstairs at my house here where I live. And in the flight case is about 200 DAT tapes. I've saved everything we recorded from the early days up to today. Mm -hmm. Every single thing. And never thought they'd see the light of day. Clowns Lounges. That uh, you know, Derek Shulman came to me when he was over at Frontiers Records and says, hey, I want a, enough snuff album. You have any material? I said, I got some old stuff there, you know. Because I want something that sounds great like the first album. I go, well, forget about it. Because the first album costs us $75,000 to make. It's an analog recording that we did over at Royal Recorders in Lake Geneva. To match that would be almost impossible with no budget. He says, well, just send me what you got. And I put together the record and I tweaked it up and made it sound good. And then I talked to Donnie and got his permission to, to say, hey, you want to put this record out? And he says, yeah, let me hear what it sounds like. And he, he loved the energy and the spirit of it. And he said, okay, let's go do it. And that's why I put that record out. That was the first one with Frontiers. After that, then Frontiers said, well, you know, we want some more records. I said, well, you know, Donnie won't be singing on them. And they said, that's okay. We want to hear what you got. And I sent him a demo of two songs. That was it. And here I am now, five years later, and three albums in with, with Frontiers. So Sarfino and, and Mario and, and the boys over at Frontiers, and Nick Teeter, they, those guys are fans. They like the music. We show up every single day we play. With, there's no drama. And I think that the songs are still strong. And, you know, one part of the era of Enough's Enough is there. It's still intact. All the songs are under one umbrella. And the new records are underneath another umbrella. And we just go out and we play and try to navigate the world the best we can. we got quite a, quite a uh, extensive material and, and, a, and a catalog in the, for Enough's Enough right now. I'm very proud of that because I think we have 23 albums out right now, kind of this new box set. That's unheard of in this day and age. And I don't think we're going to get any bands out there in the future that has this much records. Maybe we will, and, I'm, and I, I don't want to jinx anything because I'd love to see musicians get a chance. Pop bands, rock bands, R&B, doesn't matter, hip hop. I want to see them all get a chance to flourish, but to have an illustrious career like this where we have all these albums out there and all these songs, get on Spotify. we got 300 songs on Spotify. <laughs> am I bragging? I certainly am, Michael. <laughs> it's been a long career for me, and I'm very grateful to have all these songs out there. Yeah. And, uh, and if it wasn't for Donnie and, and myself, we, we wouldn't hear one thing. 
we're the we're the catalyst to most of those songs. And I uh, just I'm moving on. He's got a solo career. I got enough's enough moving on. Anything that we do with the enough's enough catalog, he'll be a part of it. I feel good about the future moving forward right now with these songs. And maybe there'll be a director or a movie or a soundtrack or a TV show. Somebody that needs the material. We got plenty of it right there. We'd love to have. Uh, we'd love to share it with you. Stuck in a world where we. Yeah, and enough's enough fans have not been cheated on content, that's for sure, over the years. You guys no, have put yeah. out a lot of stuff. Is it is there any awkwardness or weirdness when you work with Donnie on, on, on something like this and you have to make that phone call and, and talk to him? Or are you guys doing pretty good? No, I didn't feel any awkwardness. You have to ask him that question, but I felt pretty good when uh, his management company talked to me. They were excited about it because Frontiers, you know, we have has a record, three records in place for Enough's Enough. and. They wanted to know how we'd be able to navigate these waters, but this is old material. It's all, and and mm -hmm. most of the old material has been underneath the uh, Cleopatra umbrella. So it was pretty easy to do that. First, uh, I'm sure there was a, he was concerned about how the songs would sound because we we're kids. I'm playing drums on a lot of the stuff. It's just him and I yeah. on a lot of these songs in the studio on a little four track Fostex machine. But, I think that after he uh, listened to the material, he embraced it, realized, oh, you know what, there's some nice stuff here right now. And these songs are like embryos and, uh, and it's sort of like a relationship uh, with songs. And it's, it's really important to make sure that when people hear them, uh, we don't want to push it the wrong way. These are demos and rarities. This is not a full length record mm -hmm. in the studio spending you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars making a record or not or more because a lot in the old days it was much more than that this is two this is two young men in the in a bedroom in a recording studio recording all their ideas and in the, and we're sharing them with you that's pretty special a lot of cats don't do that and that we didn't think it was special at first you know we have to we talk to our colleagues and people friends of ours they uh, they all said to us you know this is something that a lot of cats can't or wouldn't be able to do, you guys should embrace this. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I think uh, in the long run, the fans are happy as well. Uh, they're flying out. The people love to hear stuff they normally can't get. And when you can find a record with artwork, uh, that old of artwork was 35, 40 years old, with 40 songs on there, unreleased, of us pouring our hearts out when we were in our, in our late teens, early 20s. That's pretty special, I think. That's something to share with everybody. And I, I would hope that they'd embrace that the right way. Yeah, and I think they will. I, I think the, there's been quite a few plays of the the Bye Bye Love single that's out there on Spotify. It's done pretty well. It's It sounds great. It doesn't sound like something that just two kids in a, in a bedroom are doing. And some of these, they're, they're different levels of, of 
I guess, polish on some of these songs. Some of them are a yep. little bit more finished than others, yep. but that's that's what you get with rarities and demos. And I think a lot of people pr probably be happy with, you know, figuring out where you where you went from point A to where you are now, and that's part of the journey. And and so that's part of the charm of of a release like this. And Johnny and I were kids when we were recording those records. Yeah. All the I wrote all those liner notes on that on this on the box set. I put them all together because I was there. I'm, I'm going to be transparent and tell the truth and, and, and put it out there the right way. Of course, I credited my brother along with uh, Patty Glasnow, who helped me put it all together. Uh, but those were ideas and the things that I experienced that I held on to and remembered. And when it came to putting the songs together on the CDs, I did the same thing with Chris Diamonds over at Stonecutter Studio. Brilliant guy who's worked with Kiss and Cheap Trick and all the big bands out there, Ozzy Osbourne. He was kind enough to get in there and help me tweak up and clean up these these masters that we had because it's all two track. There was nothing we could fix up, really. Right. It was, you know, turn it up or turn it down. There was not a lot of stuff. So he was able to clean up a lot of this stuff, make it a little more presentable, which I thought was very, very important. But I put the songs together chronologically how I seen them. And I thought it'd be in our best interest to to have Bye Bye Love first because that was a song that should have been one of the records. And it, for some reason, it slipped through the cracks because we we were writing machines. We kept coming up with stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you listen to the records chronologically, I think it really, really works out well. It's demo tapes and rarities, and that's what it's called. But boy, some of those songs, you listen to them, you go, you know, it takes you somewhere. There's some, some pretty good fodder in there. Yeah, I think there's some things that, it, I mean, do you look at these when you pulled them out? Did you, were you kicking yourself? We should have put this on a record with some of these things. No, I wasn't, Michael. I, I heard the songs and there's a reason why I didn't make it because Donnie and I were coming up with better songs in our mind, we thought. And mm -hmm. we were in this proper studio at Co-Atlantic Records and Derek Showman knew how to set us up where we can give them our best. You know, we were recording in some of the finest studios around the country, not only a at uh, Royal Recorders in Lake Geneva. We had Chicago Recording Company here in, down in Chicago, which was fabulous. Great place to record your records. Everybody was down there at the time too. And then of course we were over A&M and the Music Grinder. And there's some really uh, fabulous facilities that we got a chance to be creative in uh, where these demo tapes were all done pretty much in the bedroom yeah. and, and in the basement. You know, And I wrote on there on each CD where we were recording this up because I thought that was pretty significant. Grandma and Grandpa McNulty, good friend of mine, Mark McNulty's basement. Dottie and I grew up with him. And then over to uh, 2231 Prairie and then Longwood Drive. Those are places where I lived. Mm -hmm. And we housed all the equipment in there. And that's where we did all of our work. We barely had electricity there. So that was pretty significant to, to make sure that the story was told along with the songs. Yeah, I was going to ask you about those because those are the, the titles of the three CDs, McNulty's Basement, Prairie Street, and Longwood Towers. Are the songs on each disc from those periods when you lived in those various places? Or, or I would think that most of them are not all of them, though. Some of them got because they worked better, worked better as a package, having them all together. 
uh, some of the songs, some of the, some obviously the recordings were a little less than fidelity wise or questionable only because they're just early and the early songs and early recordings. There was a no engineer, Donnie and I were basically doing everything ourselves. For the most part, it's pretty chronological, but there's a couple of things that might not, might not fit those timelines, but still worked out well with the songs. So I just left it alone. Yeah. What's the oldest song on here that you, that you put on this collection? Uh, maybe Tar and Nicole, which is written about my daughter. That might be one of the earliest ones. I would say that's 1984. Perhaps uh, I want you back. That much. That was another one, an early one. There's a few of mine there that were when we first got together and started recording. I mean, that that would be late '83, early '84. Okay. And what's the latest one that's on there? Uh, good question, because I don't have it. I don't have the record in front of me right now. But uh, I just I I couldn't tell you to be honest with you. I have to look mm -hmm. at all of them right there. You know, the latest, the earliest, the latest stuff that we put out would be probably on Clowns Lounge. Okay. Uh, the, the uh, three discs that you have there with rarities and demos, that's pretty much old stuff from the 80, late 83 through 85. Okay. Uh, Clowns Lounge's stuff was 86, 87, 88. Will you be playing some of these songs live? Probably not. The, yeah. Probably not because you come, you go see enough snuff in concert, you want to hear the songs that you know. And sure. uh, so you revert to the first three records. The first couple of records were gold. And I'm sure the third one's close to that right now because it did really well back in, the, in those days. So I, I like to give the fans what they want. So it's going to be a, a lot of the singles, you know, Right By Your Side, Baby Loves You, New Thing, Fly Michelle. You know, I like to mix it up with the, those along with the new songs that we have in our repertoire. So maybe stuff off of Diamond Boy, perhaps that might be in the set. Mm -hmm. Where'd You Go, we played it a lot. Uh, Metal Heart, it's in the set a lot because it did really well. And that, that Diamond Boy record was the last record we ever had. We had charting here on Billboard. Uh, so that was, obviously, that was a significant album for us. Uh, the new record that is out right now, Brainwash Generation. We don't even play anything off that record. And it's a brand new record. It came out in July of last year. Uh, but I think the fans want to hear songs that they know and recognize. And that's what I've been focusing on. I do it for the fans. Obviously, I love to play songs off of all those records, but mm -hmm. uh, that would take a Japan tour playing for two and a half, three hours to get a chance to do something like that, Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to balance that, I would imagine, because you, you do have fans that, that have been there since the beginning. They want to hear the old standards. You got you know fans that have been with you all along that, that have an appreciation for the newer stuff. Some of the fans that kind of fell off the wayside a few albums in may not, you know, may not appreciate it and go use the restroom or go get a beer when you're playing one of the newer songs. But uh, it's always, I think, a balancing act for for acts that have been around as long as you guys have to. Yeah, well, for every band it is like that, Michael. Go see the Rolling Stones or Foo Fighters. They switched the setup, but we do too. We throw stuff. I mean, we really took a, a challenge. It was a real challenging tour on this last Faster Pussycat straight out of quarantine run because we threw Beatles songs that we were doing. Chat. Yeah. And, uh, the magical mystery tour we, we would, would mix it up and we threw new songs in that aren't even released we're having some fun in that tour and i think that's why it was so strong and the, and the fans really 
except to what Enough Snuff was doing because uh, there was no handcuffs on us. We just went out there and bashed it out every single night. But you go see any band in concert, and they're going to play those staple songs that everybody knows because yeah. that's part of their fabric. Can't get out of that. You got to do it. <laughs> do you have a favorite Enough's Enough song to play? I like I like Wheels in the set off the Enough's Enough 7 album. Okay. I like doing that. It was very challenging to sing it. You know, Donnie's pipes are beautiful in it. Wonderful storytelling. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite ones. And Ace Freely says it's one of his favorite songs out of all the 300 songs that are on Spotify. Loves Wheels. It's surprising. And then you listen to this song and you go, ah, it's not really surprising. It's a it's a very well-written song. And I'm very proud of that one. Recorded here in Chicago, by the way, at Tommy Lipnick's studio, which is the old Smashing Pumpkins manager. And uh, to, to be talking about this song 25 years later is very special. But there's a lot of songs in the set that I think are strong. I love doing anything off the Diamond Boy record as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and anytime doing the hits is always a good thing, too. So if you can say you're going to sing a couple of hits, that's pretty special because in this day and age, uh, not everybody gets a chance to say that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, Enough's Enough album? I, I kind of like Strength, but I think there's there's several very strong albums. That you, do you have one that sticks out to you? Uh, I love the I love all the records. Uh, Welcome to Blue Island, the paraphernalia record with Billy Corrigan and Rick Nielsen and J.Y. from Sticks is a great one right there. Can't yeah. go wrong. All those songs, we were going through tough times. And Donnie was a writing machine there. We were really coming up with some wonderful ideas. And that was basically, basically an autobiography on our life, that, that record. Um, the Question Mark record was great. The last one we did with, with Derek Frigo and, and Vicky Fox, passing out that demos back and forth in uh, Los Angeles. I think that's a great record as well. Welcome to Blue Island. Love it. Uh, but yeah, of course, the first couple of records, we're gonna, those are great records that we uh, had a budget. We had time. We got a chance to record those songs and had a, no, with nobody, no restrictions. I love that. Uh, they're all, there's not a bad enough snuff record out there as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. You got to work with Mike Portnoy. who was a very notorious power pop fan. How did you guys meet and, and what was it like working with him? Uh, well, obviously, I knew him from a long time ago from the Dream Theater days. Uh, but my wife's uh, my wife is cousins with him, so now he's my cousin. <laughs> guilt by default. I did not and, know uh, that. <laughs> and I was doing the record, and I said uh, I'd like to get a couple of guys to play on the record. She goes, "Why don't you call uh, Mike Portnoy?" And I said, "You think he'd do it?" She says, "Why? Why not?" So then I I reached out to him through text, 
And he says, uh, I'd love to do a seminar material. I usually get paid a lot of money for stuff like this, but <laughs> considering that we're family now, uh, this will be on the arm. He needs a favor. So I sent him two songs and he picked the one. And uh, I'm glad he did because it was a very Beatles song and he's a huge Beatles fan. He knows oh, yeah. as good as anybody. Uh, wonderful musician, a great friend. I'm, I don't see him all the time, but uh, have nothing but respect for him. And I'm grateful that he play, took time out to play on the record. And of course, right after that, Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick came in and played on half the album as well. Because yeah. this was during, during the whole uh, shutdown here in, around the world. So it was instead of just stopping and waiting for things to happen, I continued to move forward and just hustled, called friends to come on down, play on the record. And if they wanted to get involved, it was great. I, I told them I'd offer them money if they wanted to get paid. Everybody did it for on the arm because we're all helping each other out. And that's what I call a good music community when guys giving each other uh, some love uh, when it comes to making music. And you don't play in people's records unless you dig the music. So living testimony right there that guys like uh, Mike Portnoy and Cheap Trick and Guns N' Roses guys uh, have, have accepted and embraced enough, enough music. That's That to me at the end of the day is worth way more than any money that's out there. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, are you guys booked? You guys busy through the end of the year here now that well, venues are open? Well, we are. We just came back from our two-month tour over in the United States. And then um, the last 18 shows, my drummer, uh, Daniel Benjamin Hill, he broke his foot uh, falling off an unlit stage oh. in Atlanta, broke it in five places. Ouch. So uh, he's, he's currently getting his foot fixed. So we're going to be off for the next four or five weeks. We had to cancel all the shows we had for September, which is a real drag because we were out with Lit and uh, we were doing some stuff with uh, the motels. We had four shows with uh, uh, a couple of different bands. Tora Tora, great, great band. Love Anthony's right. Pipes. We had all those shows got all postponed and we'll be back out in October. And in the meantime, I'll continue doing my radio show. I'm on Dash Radio. Anybody can download the app, dashradio.com. It's, it's satellite radio. And uh, go to Channel 502, Monsters of Rock. I'm on there six days a week. Rudy Sarzo's on the show. Got a bunch of cast of characters. Guys in Dead Daisies <laughs> have their own program every Wednesday. Uh, number one program on Dash, folks. 800,000 people a day listening to it. It's nothing but hard rock and heavy metal 24-7, 365 days of the year. And I get to be one of your hosts of that show every single week. And I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, sounds like fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. Chip, you've been so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, the, you got the, the Rarities and Demos, Never Enough, comes out, Cleopatra Records, uh, August 27th. You've got uh, the Beatles thing coming out, you said, in November, I believe. You're, you're working on material for a, another a solo album you said is there another one under the enough's enough banner coming as well of originals i would think so but you know let's let's try to do one thing at a time we got the beetle record <laughs> coming out on frontiers and then of course uh, a shout out once again to the brian Pereira and ken and all the guys over at cleopatra records who did a fine job with this old rarity demo stuff very very proud of it and more importantly thanks to all the fans out there who come out to all the shows supported the band our doctors our military our, our cops firemen they all show up at the gigs they love rock and roll and metal i hail you all i wish everybody nothing but uh good health moving forward thank you very much for wanting to talk to me michael i appreciate you as well god bless you and your family all right thank you chip have a great day all right you too buddy
Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.